This is Security Now with Steve Gibson. Lucky episode 13, Wireless Encryption Part 2. Steve Gibson is back, the hero of the hour. Did you get a lot of calls about the Sony rootkit? Yeah. I mean, whew, this was a big story. We covered it uh, last week. This, uh, If you missed it, do listen to episode 12. This is the copy protection scheme Sony's putting on some of its... Sony and BMG Music are putting on some of their audio CDs that is uh, a hacker toolkit. Well, and in fact, Kaspersky Labs reports today in their virus news that there is now a new backdoor Trojan program using... That is leveraging the Sony DRM rootkit to hide itself in user systems. It, it, if it gets into the system, um, they're calling it BREPLIBOT.B. I don't know why, but <laughs> it, it's about a 10K byte size file that renames itself $SYS$DRV.EXE. And as we know from last week's episode, uh, if you have the Sony copy protection on your system, any file named dollar sign, sys dollar sign will be rooted, root kitted. It'll be invisible to every tool. Right. Any file beginning with the the dollar sign, sys dollar sign string just disappears. So we already see, and I mean, and and we predicted last week that this was going to happen, never having seen one, you know, that that this was a, a serious potential danger for what Sony had done, because rather than only protecting specifically its own files, the authors of this, that, that were not Sony, they used a subcontractor, the authors arranged to cause anything beginning with the string dollar sign, sys dollar sign, to disappear, including registry keys um, and and any kind of files that are stuck on the file system. That's so, just so sloppy. I can't believe they leave that hole on there. Now, how does this Trojan spread? Um, it looks like it spreads by uh, spam email messages. Uh, so opening an attachment. into loading it. Okay, so don't download and, uh, and files. It opens or, a back door on the user system. Don't download files from unknown sites. Open attachments. Uh, be very careful. And Now, here's a question for you. And a number of people asked me this. There are some anti-spyware programs that claim to detect the Sony rootkit. Uh, Kaspersky must be able to. If it's a rootkit, how can they do that? Well, they're able to, well, for example, the Sony rootkit is easily detected. You could simply rename a file to dollar sign, sys, dollar sign. If oh, yeah. it disappears, you know you've got the rootkit on your system. You don't even need to use rootkit revealer, as, as we were talking about now several times, in order to do a scan of your whole system. Yeah, somebody, so, somebody after, shortly after we put out the podcast mentioned that and uh, said he's created a file on his desktop called dollar sign, sys, dollar sign, canary, like the canary the old miners used to take down. If and that, if it ever disappears. If it disappears, you've got trouble. <laughs> So, okay, so it's easy to detect. Is it easy to remove? Um, that's the problem. Now, Sony, there's been, you know, we were part of the initial uproar at this time last week. In fact, you know, we, we did our, our podcast a day early because we wanted to make sure this message got out as quickly as possible. Sony has 
responded to the pressure. They're doing some butt-covering PR spin, saying that there's really nothing wrong with it, but we'll put something on our site that people can use to remove the hiding behavior. The DRM technology stays there, but the hiding behavior at least will be shut, it'll be shut down. Now, the other revelation since last week is that Market uh, Internals has confirmed a report that he heard, and I have not yet myself. I've ordered one of these CDs that I'm going to be infecting myself with here in a couple days because I, I want some first-hand experience with this myself. But the Sony technology is also phoning home. It uses the user's internet connection on the fly when they're listening to any of the discs that they've purchased using this built-in player. Mm. It sends a message back to Sony saying that, that this particular song or album is being played. Apparently, this is for some sort of like banner rotation technology that it has to present something to the user. But the problem is, this is classic spyware, phoning home behavior. It is not disclosed by Sony. And in fact, Sony specifically says that's not being done. Yet it's been found in packet capture traces. And Sony's saying, well, but if we're doing it, then we're not keeping any of the information. <laughs> we're not doing it. But if we were to do it, we wouldn't keep it. Now, how can you trust a company that does that? That's oh, terrible. It's so bad. Uh, all right. So uh, this isn't the primary topic of our, uh, our show today, but we, we did want to kind of update y'all on that and uh and so uh, what should we do i don't i still am kind of baffled about all that well i think it's a function of how concerned individual users are you know our goal here with these podcasts is not to tell people what they have to do ever but to say look here's the truth about what's going on you decide for yourself Mm. how concerned you are as long as somebody knows that this content-enhanced Sony CD technology is installing technology on their system, which does allow known Trojans to hide themselves, well, okay, if that's what they want, I have no problem with that as long as they know. Right. So, right. you know, we, we do know that, there, that you can go to Sony, you can submit uh, your email address to them to get a link for a remover, which will remove this from your system. So you've got to go through some... You can't get it any other way. You get can't, this removed. You can't just go to APC or XPC Aurora and download it. You have I to. guess. I, I think you can do that, too. And, and get this removed from your system. Then, if you ever make the mistake of installing one of these Sony audio CDs into your computer, as, as you said last week, Leo, hold down the shift key. Right. Or if you're a more cons- security-concerned user, you might have already disabled the CD auto-run feature in right. your system. Right which otherwise causes this thing to present you with a EULA. If you ever see the end-user license agreement because you forgot to hold down the CD, decline the installation and you know, play the CD normally or hold down shift when you put it in to prevent this thing from being reinstalled. Right. <sighs> okay. <laughs> it's too bad. And I, you know, there are lawsuits, class action lawsuits. Uh, pe- I suppose yeah. some some aggressive district attorney in some state or country might actually go after them. For- yeah, I think there is some 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 governmental action I heard in Ireland somewhere, and there's an ambulance chasing class action happy loss uh, law, 
law firm in San Francisco that's filed against Hewlett Packard and Toshiba and everybody you can imagine, and they're you know rolling up their sleeves to go after <laughs> Sony now. Okay, so you know, and I, I have to say, I'm I'm actually pretty disappointed with Sony's response to this. They they have minimized consistently. They've lied, obviously. Uh, well, it sounds like they've lied anyway about the phoning home issue. Uh, and they're, they're really not taking responsibility in a way that I would hope they would. Well, it's certainly been a good object lesson for other people who yes. will hopefully not follow in these footsteps. Yes. And, you know, I don't think we've seen the end of this. I'm going to take a look at, at, at the CD myself. I may have one suggestion next week in next week's podcast, uh, which you and I will be doing from Toronto again. That's right. Yeah. Um, uh, otherwise, I think this issue is behind us. All right. A- anybody who's interested, by the way, can just put Sony Space Rootkit into Google and stand back. <laughs> You'll find plenty about it. Yep. Well, yeah, and it was kind of timely because we had just talked about rootkits. So I'm glad uh, I'm glad we talked about them because uh, then, lo and behold, it became an issue. So, but we had also started a conversation about protecting yourself on a wireless network, and that's a very important conversation day in day out as well. So let's let's get back to that. The la- when when last we spoke, we uh, we pretty much debunked the notion that MAC address filtering had any impact on security, uh, SSID hiding useless, uh, web encryption encryption broken and next to useless uh it sounds like the best way to do this is wpa in fact the only real way to secure a wireless network is with WPA. yes Um, just to clarify the issue of ssid and mac filtering because i got a lot of mail from people after after i said you know it was not useful for security complaining about my position on that so what i want to wait a minute wait how could they complain about your position on it? it what you were talking about is factual well, uh, yeah. But, Did they dispute know, that at all? Um, well, I guess maybe the problem is what I mean by security. MAC address filtering and SSID hiding, and all, and also changing the SSID from the default, which typically is Linksys or D-Link or Netgear or whatever, those are useful for preventing inadvertent use of your access point by a neighbor who... Just has you know not implemented any security themselves. Many people were of, were of the feeling like, hey, you know, encrypting my home network is a pain because I have more of a pain than over. MAC address filtering. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that doesn't make any sense. A MAC address filtering, you get the MAC address of each device you have to enter in. You enter in the password once on WPA encryption, and that's it. Well, but but for example, if, if you know. What, what, what I'm, I'm citing from people is they've got friends who come over with a wireless laptop who want to use their access point. Yeah. So I guess, you know, somebody who's into this is able to no. add their MAC address of their wireless NIC on their laptop to their permissions list on their access point. They know how to do that flexibly and so forth. They don't have to modify their friend's laptop at all. Just give but your friend were, the password and he can log in. I know. It doesn't. It's not logical. These people are not being logical. You either. Well, what I want to clarify. <laughs> what I want to clarify is All that right. the the use of MAC address filtering is not secure, nor is SSID hiding or changing your SSID from the default, because both of those are easily obtainable just by sniffing the air. Right. However, they are useful to prevent inadvertent use by by a neighbor of your access point. So uh, I, have, I, have an, I have an analogy for this, Steve. Okay. Uh, let's say you don't want to lock your door because you want your kids to come in and out of your house freely. So you don't lock your door. You have no security. But just 
to kind of discourage burglars, you put a big sign up front that says you have an alarm system. Now, in fact, you don't have an alarm system and the door isn't locked, but you've put a sign up that says you do. That's that kind of security. I think it's not particularly logical. If you ask me, give your kids a key and lock the door. Well, again, it's not secure. It's it's it prevents it's pretending to be secure. Well, I, maybe we need another word. I mean, it, it, it's very weak authentication is what it is. And authentication is different from security. Okay. It's, it's not authentication of, of your wireless devices that cannot be broken, which is to say it, even that can be breached. But, it, it, but it's, it's weak authentication, which is better than none if you want to prevent your neighbors from inadvertently using your system. But it should never be confused with security. And that's what we're going to talk about with WPA. So let's say how to protect your system for real, not by putting a sign up that says it's secure, really, but right. actually securing it. How do you do um, that? As we, talked, as we talked about when we talked about how badly broken the whole WEP, W-E-P, original legacy encryption for Wi-Fi was, um, I was talking about all the different ways that it could be compromised to the point where, you know, there are now, there's like competing hacker tools that run on Linux platforms that allow people to sniff your traffic, induce your access point to spill keys at a much faster rate than it normally would, that allows them to be analyzed in order to crack your key. So web encryption, again, it's it's better than no encryption at all. It does provide a, a much better barrier than than leaving your system wide open or even protected by MAC address filtering or SSID hiding, but it can be cracked. The, the reason I make this point is that WPA, even the weakest form of WPA encryption if it's done properly, is absolutely uncrackable as long as no one gets your key. The, the web is so badly broken that when they thought, uh-oh, okay, let's really fix Wi-Fi security seriously this time, they got heavy-duty security experts involved, and they created a, a next-generation encryption technology called WPA. Um, it has a number of different ways it can work, and unfortunately, it's an acronym soup that gets very confusing very quickly. But, but as specifically, WPA, sort of all an end user needs to really appreciate is that if you use a really good passphrase, and we've talked about passwords and passphrases before, a really good passphrase, you are virtually uncrackable. Now, there are, there, there's TKIP, which is a temporal key integrity protocol, which basically changes the keys often enough that existing encryption, that is the RC4 encryption that was in the early Wi-Fi, can now be used safely. There is more industrial strength WPA, also called 802.11i, also called WPA2. And sometimes I've seen it as, as enterprise WPA as well. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and, and that, that's the same thing? a little bit different oh, okay. because that's why this is also confusing. WPA2 uses AES encryption, which is the new 
uh, NIST encryption standard. So it, it doesn't use the RC4 encryption. Some people think, oh, well, that's better. The fact is, RC4 encryption is an extremely strong cipher, absolutely strong enough, as long as it's used correctly, and WPA technology uses it correctly. The reason we're still using RC4 is that there's a very good chance that older technology systems can be upgraded with a f older routers can be upgraded to WPA security even though they've got older hardware the problem with AES encryption which is this next stronger level is that it's much more hardware and and processor intensive and so only newer hardware that was designed with this technology from scratch will probably be able to run it so give me a shopping list uh, in order from uh, least secure to most secure of, uh, and I presume you would use choose the most secure you had uh, as an option, right? Well, maybe, but you know, fr from all the feedback we've received from users, people are are very sensitive to any sort of inconvenience. Well, we know that inconvenience and security are always fighting each other. Right. Uh, I have to know, say, though, like, my experience with WPA is it's much less inconvenient than WEP was. Uh, well, it's a it's okay. a it's a simple passphrase. You enter it once in most implementations. You don't have to enter it again. And well, that's true. Except get a load of this. It turns out that passphrases are much less secure than oh. they seem. Oh, typical passphrases are, you know, per character of a passphrase. Due to the fact that that case is not changing randomly, that is uppercase and lowercase, that passphrases are normally not highly mixed with letters, special symbols, and alphabetic, and, and that there's generally a, a lack of randomness in a passphrase. The typical strength of a passphrase is 2.5 bits of security per character. Mm -hmm. Compared to... A random well, com string? compared to a byte, which is 8 bits. Mm. So we're used to thinking in terms of a character as being an, of 8 bits worth of strength. Right. So, for example... So it's less than a third if, is... It's, it's, it's a third is strong. Right. So, for example, if you, if you had a 20-character passphrase, it turns out that's only good for 50 bits Again, because there's some organization. Ran, the best password or passphrase is totally random. Well, exactly. So, so, so what this means is that there is an attack which WPA any well, which pre-shared key WPA can be subjected to. And, and you're right. We we have to talk a little bit about what this means. The the easiest to use, most practical and workable encryption is called PSK. Oh, sorry, PSK pre-shared key. WPA, and that's what you've been talking about, Leo, where you simply make up a really good passphrase once, you, you assign that to your access point, to any wireless equipment you have in your home, and you're done. It's very easy. Now, the, the enterprise Now I'm worried stuff, it's not secure. <laughs> that, that, right. The enterprise stuff adds another level. It uses a, a, a technology typically known as, as radius technology, where, you're where there's another server somewhere that authenticates the user and dynamically creates keys for them so that each user has a separate key sort of assigned on the fly. One consequence of normal pre-shared key 
WPA, this PSK WPA, is that all devices in your environment will be using that single pre-shared key. So they're able to cross-decrypt each other's traffic if they wanted to, uh, meaning that in a corporate environment, you, if you had an, a bad employee right. and, and the whole corporation access point was using the same pre-shared key, employees would be able to spy on each other's traffic. Right. Now, in a, in a residential environment, we know that's not going to be a problem. So this is where but, you have to kind of be aware of what your needs are and choose appropriately. So in a business, right. you should probably use, not use PSK. But in a home environment, PSK would be acceptable. Well, and, and in a business environment, you're, pro- you're going to probably be spending more money or have a bigger budget. Or, you know, in a, in a, in a serious corporate environment, you've got, you know, a whole IT staff that are going to be doing well, this. But also in a corporate environment, uh, it's, it's, you still have the advantage of you enter it once and your system remembers the passphrase, right? I mean, you don't have to re-enter it every time you log onto the base station, do you? Oh, absolutely. In a, in a corporate environment with, with a radius-based server and dynamic key assignment, it, it is the user is authenticated Each time. against this major, this, this main central server, and then keys are dynamically assigned to the access point and the user on the fly. So it's, it, so it's, it's, it's not burdensome in any way. Give us, if you can, before we go much farther, I'd I just like to understand... All the flavors, all the okay. players involved, and then and then if if you would, can you talk about the pros and cons of each? Yes. Okay. So, with with WPA, we have either a static pre-shared key, or in corporate environments, keys which are being assigned by a centralized server where the users authenticate themselves with their own password and credentials, then the server creates the the keys used for their connection. No users at home, or even in a a small office environment, are going to see that or be involved with it. But I wanted just to say that, you know, it exists and it's there, and it's super high-grade security. And the purpose of that is to keep people from snooping on each other within the network. Correct. Also, if you had an ex-employee right. who left and had the knowledge of what that pre-shared key, a single global pre-shared key was, that would create a vulnerability also. Right. So in a corporate environment, this, this WPA using a central server for like a key distribution solves cross-user snooping and the problem of of keys not expiring from from people being fired or, or leaving the company and so forth. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. So in a in a home environment, everyone is going to be using a single pre-shared key, which is completely safe as long as the the passphrase that generates the key is safe. And that will talk. Uh, that's how we'll wrap up our dialogue here in a few minutes. Okay. But first, I'll say that. So we have the issue of, of a single key or dynamically assigned keys. Everybody in the home is going to be using a single pre-shared key. Then another aspect of WPA is which encryption technology is being used. Older hardware, which is not as strong, will tend to be using the, the RC4 encryption, which has been made safe by changing its keys all the time using something called TKIP, the Temporal Key Integrity Protocol. 
TKIP makes RC4 safe, where it wasn't safe before in WEP legacy-style encryption. Alternatively, newer hardware that that is stronger might be capable of using a different cryptography technology called AES. So, for example, my new Belkin router does offer me AES encryption. So if if XP, if the XP client that I was using also supported AES, I might choose to use it. It is more processor intensive. Technically, it will be putting more of a load on my computer. I haven't chosen to use it because TKIP is absolutely safe enough. It is a more efficient technology and protocol and if someone came over with a slower laptop who I wanted to briefly allow to join my network, you know, TKIP is for sure what they're going to be able to use within this this WPA umbrella. Okay. So that really wraps up the choices. <laughs> and I guess the key is you got to kind of know what your security needs are and you can choose, but for most home users, uh, any form of WPA would be good enough, yes? Yes, and and exactly. So the lowest common denominator will be WPA with a pre-shared key using TKIP technology encryption, which drives RC4. Like I said, it's an acronym (laughs) gumbo. Take notes, kids. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) the, the last thing that is important, and this is critical, is passphrase quality. The reason it's critical is WPA is subject to what's called an offline attack, meaning that someone could sniff your traffic and only needs a little bit of traffic to sniff. They don't need a lot. They then take that home to a big computer and run an offline cracking utility, which basically it does a brute force or dictionary attack against your passphrase. So because it's possible to do this, to put as much time or energy as necessary, it, it, you know, since you're bothering to do WPA anyway, you know, it absolutely makes sense to choose a good passphrase. And what that means is somehow come up with just a jumble of, of arbitrary special characters you're able to with wpa passphrases you can use anything printable you know asterisk dollar sign you can look like a comic book swearing person <laughs> upper lower case numbers you name it and use the full length a, a passphrase can be 63 characters and that's what i'm saying this is this is not somewhere where you want to type in a sentence that you like to use that can get cracked offline you want a, just a nightmare jumble of junk and and then you just use copy and pasting in order to paste the same thing into each of your machines at access point. And when a friend does come over, you paste this jumble in, they can't memorize it. Right. So, you know, before they leave, you delete that from their, their, their wireless adapter, and it's safe just by, by obscurity. There's no way anyone is going to, either you, uh, even you, are going to be able to memorize this 63-character hodgepodge of just static. 
Now, let me ask another question. Uh, and this is, this is, I think, really where the criticism comes from on, uh, on what we were talking about last time with uh, MAC address filtering and so forth. People say, how real is this threat anyway? Aren't we kind of spreading a lot of fear unnecessarily? How many people are getting hacked? I don't know how to respond to that because, again, our goal is just to explain the technology. So it's important for people to know that WPA is subject to offline cracking so that if if they were in a situation where they thought they were secure using a few English words strung together as their passphrase, maybe it's useful for them to know how that can be broken and that it really can be broken. That, you know, if I were in their facility and I wanted access to their system, I could get it, even though they've used WPA. And then you can decide, folks, whether you really want to worry about this or not. I mean, that's, I guess that that makes sense. Yeah, I I think that's... You need the information. you know, that's our position. I know from the people who, who write to us, Leo, that there are people who do think we're going overboard. I mean, you can imagine, I got a lot of mail when we were talking about listening to keyboard clicking noises. Well, we know that that's silly. <laughs> but it's possible. We just want to let you know. I mean, we thought that, that was a case of, well, I think it's interesting. I don't think we ever implied that somebody was going to do that to you. I'm not worried about that. No. On, the, on the other me, hand. I do, I do have an an extremely strong WPA passphrase yeah. that I can't remember. It's in a it's in a file on my computer, and when I need to set up a new device, I copy and paste it into the device. There's no way I could even type it again. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it's it's absolutely never going to get cracked. The reason is that passphrase ends up getting hashed 4,096 times into a 256-bit master key. 256 bits is way long for a master key. So my point is, while you're doing WPA security, if it's okay with your lifestyle to have a key that you can't remember, but because you can't remember it, that that demonstrates how strong it is, then take the time to do it once, and you never, never need to worry about it again. So then our recommendations, if I can summarize, are uh, use, certainly use WP. If you're concerned, maybe I'll have to put that little (laughs) codicil at the beginning. If you are concerned about Wi-Fi security, use WPA because it works. Use a completely random password of 64 uh, characters. That's the maximum. Actually, 63. 63. And that's the most you can use and, and randomize them. Don't, and don't use a phrase, even though that's easier to remember. But since you're just cutting and pasting, you don't need to remember it. And it only has to be done once. And you don't have to worry about temporal key, TKIP, because uh, that's really more for a business situation where you want to provide security between people who are on the same network or maybe protect yourself against former disgruntled employees in a home environment. That's probably not necessary. There actually is some firmware that can be downloaded into the Linksys 
that WRT54G, mm -hmm. you know, that nice little router that, that everybody a lot of people, has, <laughs> yes, uh, that are using and running Linux, that does have like a little mini radius server technology in it. If somebody really wanted to get into this in uh, in, in a home environment, but you again, could implement it's temporal not key. a typical application. Okay, and uh, and and sh if you don't use WPA2, you don't worry about that. Nope, not at all. Simple old WPA is fine. All right. Okay. And again, folks, if you want to put a sign on your front lawn that says, this house protected by guard dogs, and keep your door unlocked, be our guest. We're not telling you not to. We just want you to know what the risks are when you do it, right? Or, 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 or how about a little sign in the window that says, using strong WPA <laughs> with a passphrase you will never figure out. Don't so go bother. away. <laughs> and then you can just leave it wide open because who cares? <laughs> All right, Steve. Hey, it's always good to talk to you. And I think that uh, this was uh, important. Um, and we apologize to those folks who wanted to hear more of the uh, wireless encryption and were less worried about the Sony rootkit uh, for a little interruption, our little intermezzo last week, well, but we did think that was important, too. Yes, people really wanted guidelines for how to really lock down their security. I mean, I'm responding to the mail that I get. Yeah. People wanted this, so that's it. That's the story. Uh, next week, unless something happens, uh, we're going to finally talk about VPN technology oh, to be safe no matter where you are using wireless. Right. And we'll come to you from Toronto next week, of course, via podcast as always. For more information, visit our show notes at grc.com slash securitynow.htm. You'll also find uh, two versions of Security Now there, the normal 64 kilobit version and a 16 kilobit version for those of you with slower download speeds or less file space, as well as transcripts. And I, I think it's great, Steve, you've got them in text and PDF form so people can read what we say uh, and understand it. Sometimes it helps to read it uh, in addition to listening to it. And, uh, hey, and there's one thing I, I meant to say that I forgot to say, but it's very important. WPA may not be available on your platform. It's oh, only yes. officially available in XP. There is a free WPA client software that runs on all versions of Windows, 95, 98, and, and, and on, that used to be from a company called Wireless Security Corp that apparently McAfee recently acquired. But if you put free space WPA space client into Google, it'll take you there, and I'll have a link to that in um, on, on the Security Now page on GRC, and also, Leo, I'll send it to you for the show notes. Great. Because it will allow people who have a WPA-capable router, but who are running OSs that do not have a WPA client, to, for free, add WPA technology to their system, and that's very important. That's nice. And as we said uh, when we talked about WEP, if all you have is WEP, WEP is better than nothing. Um, it, you know, use that, but just understand the risks that you're running. And, you know, exactly. next week we'll talk about using VPN. And even if you're using WEP, VPN can be very handy in securing your system. Steve Gibson, thanks for joining us. Our, our hearty, deepest thanks to the folks at uh, the AOL radio podcast channel who not only broadcast this podcast but uh, give us the bandwidth so that you can all download it easily and freely at aolmusic.com i'm leo laporte we'll see you next time on security now